What is a pastor? What is their job? And are they even necessary? Do Christians need preaching? Is all this pastor and preaching imperative? Let's talk about it and take a look in an all new episode of C28. Well, good morning or afternoon or evening, whenever you're listening to this. Uh, we got a great episode for you talking about some uh, some topics that have been brought up to me several times and they're good questions. And I brought in the expert, uh, Mark from Grace Fellowship up in, it's Jackson, right? That's right. Okay, up in Jackson. So he's here joining us. He's going to carry the conversation. So I'm just going to sit back and relax. So um, tell me a little bit about yourself. Introduce yourself to uh, our listeners here. Um uh, education, family, hobbies, your church, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I just want to say thank you, Brian, for uh, inviting me to be a part of this today. That's really, uh, look, been looking forward to it and it's a privilege to, uh, have this conversation. I've been in, uh, I grew up in Amador County. In fact, uh, graduated from Amador or not Amador Argonaut <laughs> high school. I, I yeah. hear you gotta be careful. Yes. About that. <laughs> I, I, yeah. So, well, when I was growing up, it was Jackson high school and, uh, we were that generation who, when the, the high school, uh, became Argonaut, it was during my four years there. So, mm. um, so my, my being a part of this community goes way back. And, um, my, uh, my parents own a local business in Jackson. Um, Denary Mortuary. So I when I in fact went off to college and I went to Biola University and um, some of the nomenclature that was going around that uh, I was foreign to me was, you know, people called themselves PKs or MKs, you know, pastor's kids or missionary kids. I'm like, what, what's a PK? What's an MK? And uh, when I figured out the MK was a missionary kid, well, you know, I'm an MK too. I'm a, <laughs> you know, I'm a mortician's kid, you know, uh, that, so, that's how you make friends. Yeah. <laughs> So I really value being a part of this community. I, I never realized I would be back as an adult. You know, you grow up here, you're thinking, you know, I'm just going to get out. I'm going to see what the world is all about. And, um, and it would, uh, God would have different plans for me, which I am so grateful for. Uh, but I met my wife while we were, while attending Biola University. And I was a music major there, actually. And um, after uh, I transferred in my junior year, I was there for... Um, uh, two years. And, uh, it was during that time that I really understood that, uh, music wasn't the, the path for me to, you know, be, a, to launch into a career. That's what I originally thought I really wanted to be, mm. you know, part of a Christian, you know, rock band, you know, this is in the eighties. Okay. Oh, yeah. So this is Petra. This is, you know, these, the, you know, the, never the heard of them. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm dating myself, but the, uh, when I realized that, you know, I was, my aspirations uh, did not equate to my actual gifting and ability. Uh, kind of created a, a space in my heart that I was unsettling, you know, disrupted my path. And it was at that time where my wife, then we were just dating, but her dad, who's a missionary, said, have you ever think of, thought about um, having, because I want to be in, in ministry some way. Well, what about youth ministry? And uh, if you're thinking about applying for a job with a, a church and I said, you know, they pay you for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so in fact, uh, I, I applied for a job in Southern California as a junior high, uh, youth leader, uh, in Costa Mesa, 
California and Orange County. And my wife and I started investing in this church. And I realized that, oh my, this is exactly what God has wired me for is, is to be involved in the church. And, mm. and at that time, youth ministry. And I did youth ministry for 18 years. Wow. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. So just really grateful for that. Um, we, we were there for about three years and we moved up into back in Northern California. Uh, we got involved with Calvary Chapel, actually here in Amador County. And I uh, was on staff there for six years and the, everything was going so well. I just realized that um, I was the, the ministry and, and um, the opportunities God was giving me was outgrowing what I felt was my training. And that's really what prompted me to go back to Bible college. Mm. And so we, uh, we found a little Bible college up in Redding, California called Shasta Bible College. I just got a flyer from them yesterday. Oh yeah, their Alpha Omega conference. I think yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yes, that's my alma mater. So <laughs> we moved up to Reading, and I was able to finish out my undergrad um, in Bible, and I uh, really valued that uh, education. And then after that, uh, we were setting our sights for w how to pursue, you know, graduate work. Where was where that going to take us? And at that time, uh, the pastor at our church now, Grace Fellowship. Uh, heard we were getting ready to graduate. We we're going to move it to a different area. And so they reached out and said, hey, would you be interested in moving back to Amador County and, and maybe going to commuting to Sacramento to go to seminary? And initially thought, no way. I, I can't go back into the same small community, mm -hmm. but with a different church. You know, I, I don't know. I don't think so. So I, I reached out to our old pastor and his wife and we had a, a dinner appointment and um, talked through that and they were very gracious and said, you know, we see God's calling in your life, you know, if God's calling you back to this community, you know, they had already moved forward and hired another person that is in the position that I would once held there. And uh, they gave us our blessing. And so in 1999, we moved back to Amador County and been at Grace Fellowship ever since, 25 years. Wow, um, yeah. So initially with youth ministry, uh, always with uh, worship leading as well. Music has always been a part of my life. Uh, and then it moved into an associate pastor role for a number of years. And then in 2012, uh, our the founding pastor at Grace retired, and I took over the lead pastor position in 2012. So uh, so that is a, b a bit of my journey in ministry. We, had, we raised our two daughters in that environment. Um, they went off with us to Bible college. They were babies back then, and, and now they're grown. Our oldest, Morgan, is 28. Our youngest is uh, 26, Mackenzie. Morgan lives in Southern California, and Mackenzie lives in Roseville. And so real proud of them. And not to interrupt, we did. Uh, we just had lunch right before this, and uh, he just he spent like 20 minutes bragging on his daughters. And, oh, yeah. Uh, re really proud of them. Yes, yeah. You know, you, you, you realize raising kids that you invest so much of your heart and your life and you have the aspirations for your children, but especially having so many years in youth ministry, you realize you don't have, you know, once they start making their own decisions, you know, you, you don't, you, your control over them and, and your hopes for them, you know, it's really on them whether or not they're going to choose a path of faith or, or, or uh, you know, to, to make decisions that are in alignment with what you hope for them with regard to um, character and so on. And um, as many families that we've seen that have invested so much in their children and love and, and the word and, and who Jesus is, that doesn't guarantee that kids grow up to love Jesus and to mm -hmm. live a life that is um, honoring the Lord and, and so on. 
And so we're being very, very aware of that. We are so grateful that our, both of our girls have continued to move forward in their faith and not that they haven't had struggles. Uh, they certainly have. Um, but we have navigated that with them and, and they have, they have very much owned their own, um, faith in the yeah, Lord. Cool. So we're really grateful for that. That's awesome. Yeah. My, my kids are on the other end of that. They're, they're, I have five kids under 11. And so they're not making too many decisions on their own. They, you know, like <laughs> what, what color sweatshirt are they going to wear? Right. Right. You know, so we, we've, uh, we have some older, we have some friends that have older kids and, uh, they, they've, they've scared us about this age range in the, in the twenties, you know, where you still have these same desires to help and, you know, carry them along, but they're on their own and you can't, and you got to kind of let them fail and succeed on their own in yes. certain ways. That seems difficult. <laughs> it is. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's good. And, but it's hard sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Well, good. We got some, we got a good topic. Um, I guess to start off, have you, have you ever heard whether it's secular society or even within church culture? Have you heard these questions like, like what is a pastor or do we need a pastor? What is preaching? Do we need preaching? Do I have to go to church? You know, have you heard yeah, those? Yeah. Well, that seems to be a really common, um, objection to going to church really uh people Uh i don't need to you know you don't have to have a pastor you don't have to go to church to be a christian and uh and it's really just an excuse not to go to church Mm -hmm. actually i don't want to broad brush it too much uh, because i I know a lot of people who are very genuine uh, believers who have opted for home fellowship yeah um with a small group and and i see some merit in that uh, but i also see some dangers in that as well and uh, at least some limitations at the very least and uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a pretty common uh, statement that I've heard in various ways, various mm-hmm. terms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one, uh, one thing that, that, that I heard that made a lot of sense to me is that um, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And while that's true, there's probably many Christians that either there's no way for them to go to church or they become a Christian and they die before they get plugged into a church or something. Uh, but that it is true that Christians go to church. And, uh, and I think that that comes out of... Uh, God's desire for us to be plugged in and communing together. And then be, if we're going to get together and commune together and learn together, um, the, a question would come up, did God uh, in his word or did Jesus talk about um, the need for some structure within that, that meeting time? And so I think that kind of like kind of comes the foundation of like the discussion today a little bit. And we'll lead into one of the things maybe that pastor to spend their time doing is preaching. And if that's true, then what is that? Mm-hmm. So to start off, maybe uh, a good a good place to start is what is a pastor? So take it away. Talk with me about what what is a pastor? Well, I, I, I think it's important first to look to the word to define that term. What is, you know, because we in our culture, we have an idea of what a pastor is and so on. And, and at the root of the very word pastor um, comes from the Greek word poimen, which is a shepherd. Uh, and Jesus. See, this is why we had him here. You yeah. see all that language stuff at the root of the word. You're some Greek. You're, love it. Okay, go on. Yeah, yeah. Pastoral ministry. It's it's you you have a flock and you have a, a you know it's it's drawn from this imagery of you know particularly of God's people in in ancient history is um, they were shepherds. And so it was a very easy image to mm-hmm. relate to for them. Um, then, of course, when they settled in the in the, uh, the the land, promised land, they became much more agriculture and so on. But um, pastoral ministry, in, in the very literal sense of a shepherd attending sheep, 
uh, is where is the imagery that God draws from to present, you know, you are to be uh, in leadership um, this way to uh, the congregation, the, to this local um, fellowship of people that represents uh, one part of the greater body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if we were to take uh, what a shepherd did in, in ancient times, a shepherd did with the flock um, and then kind of, so talk, what, what did a shepherd typically provide a flock then? And then, and then how is that imagery then put into a very real way? What pastors are called and commanded into by the Lord in their churches? Well, I, number of things, you know, um, there's a pastor or a, a shepherd provides protection for their flock from wolves, from other predators. Um, he makes sure that they are um, being rotated into pastures that will give them uh, the quality food that they that they need um, to he rescues them uh, if they fall into a ditch, you know, things like that. He actually sleeps with he or she. There's there's. Um, shepherdesses as well in in this setting in the pastoral setting um that will sleep with the sheep um jesus uses this metaphor that uh, i'm not like a hired hand i'm i'm the good shepherd and my sheep know my voice uh and they come to me and, and it's really this imagery of the intimate relationship between the ancient uh shepherds and their sheep in fact they didn't drive them with a stick or use dogs um, to help herd their sheep they would in fact have particular whistles or calls and those sheep would know their their shepherd's voice oftentimes at night they'll go into pens that protect them from predators and the shepherd would sleep at the gate of that pen and when uh, uh, uh another shepherd would come in to call their sheep out of that pen which has multiple flocks in this large pen they just do their own call or their own whistle and just their sheep will follow mm. them and so it really it, it speaks to the intimate nature of a shepherd and a sheep and one of the things he says i'm a really important quality of a shepherd is that they are willing to lay down their life for the sheep they're not just a hired hand when the danger comes they run away they're just in it for the money but they're looking to their own interests first. A true shepherd is one who is willing to sacrifice uh, on behalf of the health of the sheep. So protecting them from predators um, and providing them uh, food and, and healing their wounds um, and, and so on. Not just uh, to make money uh, off of sheep, but realize their, their lives are interdependent um, in how they coexist. Mm-hmm. And the, the connection is, it seems very obvious, but just make it for those who are half listening and driving. Uh, what does that then look like for a, um, for, for pastors in a church practically? What, what, what are they, what are they doing? And what, are, why did God in Ephesians and Acts, uh, um, in his word, make sure that it's clear that they're appointing elders and overseers and pastors. Like, what does it look like in there? Yeah. So we have, um, the local church. Um, which is one part of the universal church, uh, which is we call the body of Christ, which is all believers um, in the world that exist in this moment, in addition to all the believers that have existed from the time of Christ. And we have a role to care for, to feed, um, to teach, to disciple, uh, to nurture, to heal, uh, to care for uh, a local congregation. And it's, it's a task um, and a responsibility appointed by Jesus um, for us because we were, you know, Peter would say uh, as overseers, which is 
he, he uses the word overseer and shepherd in this particular passage um, interchangeably mm-hmm. that we will one day answer to the chief shepherd who is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And he gives us this responsibility of um, protecting and caring for and feeding the flock. So in, in the modern sense, um, we are making sure that uh, our people, our little flock, um, knows who God is, how much he loves them, knows who the way of salvation, knows um, how to foster a deep communion with, with Jesus Christ. And that is displayed in all kinds of ways in, in helping us connect with Jesus. But then we also connect with one another. Um, the, the shepherd helps us to see, like the local shepherd helps us to see that we each have unique gifting that contributes to one another. We don't know one person has all the gifts uh, so that we could exist completely apart from the rest of the body, we, we, the rest of the, of the church family. We actually are designed to have deficiencies in any of us because I need you and you need me for us to really grow um, to foster deep relationship and to be interdependent with one another in that context. So, uh, you know, lots of, lots of, we think of pastors, you know, a lot of what my role is, we focus on Sunday morning. So you're preparing to teach, preparing to give a message, but that is really this, a small piece of the pie of what Mm. our role is in a broader sense. Yeah. Let me read uh, some text here. For this first one's in Ephesians chapter four. Paul is uh, is speaking, and he's speaking of the unity of the body of Christ and what the Lord has given the church as he's ascended into heaven. And he goes on in eleven through fourteen to say, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the works work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature uh, manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, and by, cra- by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So there's the, uh, the shepherds and the teachers uh, being taught by Paul. Um, that this, these, these are part of the giftings along with evangelists and, and, and the prophets and, and things like that to, uh, to equip the church, to protect the church, to, uh, um, to make it so that they're not so tossed to and fro. Um, because there's a lot of human tradition in empty deceit, C2.8, Colossians 2.8, that talks about there's, there's, there is philosophy that isn't Christian. There is a deceit. There are a worldviews, uh, that um, that will pull against and try to uh, dissolve the one of Christ. Uh, there's another section of text in Acts chapter 14. So I'll try to summarize a little bit. Uh, Paul is in Lystra, and the Jews are coming from Antioch and Iconium. They're, uh, they stone Paul. Uh, they take him outside the gate. They leave him for dead. Um, and so, some of the, the disciples, the followers gather around him and he stands up. I guess he's not dead. He dusts himself off and then he goes back in for a day, it appears. And then um, he ends up coming back to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, visiting those places. And it says that he strengthens the souls there and encourages them in their faith before leaving. Uh, and, and before leaving, he appoints elders and overseers. 
So I'm going to read the text just so you guys know I'm not lying about it. This is uh, Acts chapter 14, verses 19 through 23. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas and Derby. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples. They returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many uh, tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. And in Titus chapter 5, um, that's another section where that um, where the elder, overseer, and shepherd are they're they're used like synonymously and interchangeably. But in uh, Titus chapter one verse five, it says, "This is why they why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I direct you." And the point of this is more that uh, leadership within the church is a structure that Jesus implemented and left as a protection and a good thing for his church as he ascends into heaven. And you brought up the chief shepherd. It's good for all the pastors to know, as well as the sheep to know, that uh, that we are not in any way the chief shepherd. We, uh, we, we shepherd, we're called into it. I believe it's a specialized office in a sense that it's not just any other uh, ministry, that there's something special about it and unique. And God calls us into it, and then we serve there humbly under him, and we're all under the headship of Christ. And there's just a leadership and a structure put into the local church in order for all the good things that you had mentioned. Essentially, the, sh- the shepherd, that your pastor is not there um, for the purposes of being praised or for the purposes um, of, of being worshipped. Uh, we're there really to pour ourselves out for the sheep. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that it appears that that's getting lost a little bit in translation with, with some pastors, that we are sacrificers. And just as Christ poured himself out, we're pouring ourselves out. And we expect also congregation members to be pouring themselves out in the ways that God has called them. And so if God has called a pastor, he's going to pour himself out in the ways that you just described with that illustrative um, shepherd and sheep context. Yeah, you know, it's... Uh, you know, the passage you read in, in Acts 14 is really just one example of what became a very standardized process of the apostles. Anytime they would establish a church, the church being those who believe in Jesus, in a community, uh, before they left, even though that church may be weeks old, they would establish leadership within that community before they left. And, and hopefully that would, in the short time and, and that they were there and, and they gave them the, those essential um, principles of faith and so on, that would sustain them until they came back and visited them again, giving them more information, more training, yeah. and, and so on. And it was something they did from city to city to city. It was a standardized practice um, that they would leave leadership and then go back and revisit that leadership to continue to speak truth, mm-hmm. to make correction if possible. Because I mean, these churches are, one essential characteristic of, of leadership in churches is because the churches were so diverse 
to think that they were completely unified in all things is just not a biblical idea. We'd like to I- idealize the early yeah. church, you know, because we have these early these passages in, in early Acts where the, you know people are selling things and they they have all things in common and they just just enjoying this incredible unity. But it's not very much further that we see uh, in the leadership of the church itself, they're, they're tackling really key diverse uh, or divisive issues, like whether or not believers need, Gentiles specifically, need to be circumcised. Do you need to become Jewish in mm-hmm. order to be mm-hmm. a follower of Jesus? And that was a hard discussion, and they did not agree uh, and, and until the end of that discussion, they they all came to the conclusion that no, you know, we're going to be in agreement on this. But that was just that's that was a major. But you see all throughout the New Testament how uh, an aspect of the leadership, either the apostles or the local leadership, were helping um, essentially two groups of people, Jews and Gentiles, who did not normally eat at the same table mm-hmm. or enjoy the same activities. They, they were very separate groups. They did not like each other particularly. And, uh, but here they are in the church now being taught to, by the Holy Spirit of God to love one another. And you think that's enough. Uh, <laughs> but, but, I never thought of it that way. <laughs> but it, but God also instituted leadership to help us navigate conflict, to help us navigate those hard things and uh, even just simple disagreements, but even those deeply rooted ethnic diversities that they were tackling right from the beginning. Uh, even Jesus among the 12, uh, all the way up until the uh, the Passover meal, the final Passover before Jesus' crucifixion, he was correcting them, rebuking them for arguing among themselves. A lot of times their uh, arguments were centered around who should sit closest to Jesus, mm-hmm. who is more important. Who's first, who's yes. the top three, yeah. who will sit and next to you in heaven. he <laughs> continually taught them you know, to, to be humble. How you should lead is not like the Gentiles should lead. You should lead in humility and uh, seeking others' interests above your own, and so on. But all the way up until his crucifixion, he was still teaching in that lesson. So for us to think that there uh, that there's not going to be conflict in the church, even mm-hmm. though we have one spirit, we have one common faith in Jesus, uh, is a naive thought because it, it's been in, from the beginning. And it's really a, kind of a hallmark of when churches can love one another. And you can only do this on a local face-to-face kind of thing. I mean, the local church really has to embody this because I need to know I can love you sitting across the table. I need to know I can have look you in the face and our lives overlap in a way that I have to get my hands dirty a bit in mm. this kind of relationship. Now, it's easy for me to love someone across the ocean, right? I, the idea of that person, yeah. oh yeah, we're unified. But in the day-to-day living out, it's the, the love of Jesus that is it is that is supernaturally a part of our relationship that really tells the world uh, who Jesus is is that ability to love people though we have very basic differences in our life political differences ethnic differences uh, differences in ideologies and so on yet we can worship together uh, in one body in one local congregation and navigate that and one of the key elements of helping us navigate that is is the leadership in mm-hmm. those local ch- churches um, helping congregations to move forward in that kind of deep abiding love. Yeah. Yeah. 
Now it's uh, it's it's interesting you bring because when you brought up the uh, the section about what we're dealing with when um, when we look in Acts and they're asking those questions like do they have to be circumcised because it's not even just it's it for me I look at that I'm like there was a real time in the old covenant where being circumcised mattered big time yeah and then there's this new covenant where they had kind of the, the Jews had kind of built themselves up in a sense as in a very real way God's chosen people to do a special work and to be a lighthouse for the world for if you're looking for the God of Israel we'll show you mm-hmm. and so there was a these uh, regulations and uh, rituals that would set them apart. And so as you came to know this God, you would come through Judaism, come through Judaism. Mm -hmm. And then now you have the risen Jesus filled with uh, people, filled with the spirit going and evangelizing. And they're wondering, okay, so, but I need to go become a Jew first. And they're like, no, you don't. And then, so there's this discussion. Well, wait a second. What do you mean you don't have to? Like, not only... Is it just my own personal preference? It was taught that way for for years and years and years and That's years right. and years. And then say so that to reconcile that. That's a lot bigger than if we should have pews or chairs oh. or whether we should have hat racks <laughs> yeah. or what color to paint the building. Right, you know? right. And uh, and there, that had to be satisfied. And we find ourselves in some what we think were, would be considered big, uh, you know, disagreements. And really, for me, it just shows when we get hung up over those things. They're worth talking about, worth working through. Uh, but there's there was far more uh, difficult things that were being, you know, mediated through church mm-hmm. leadership and stuff. Mm-hmm. And one of the examples you talked about these churches being set up, uh, arguably young believers, right? They would be converted. A church would start, and they'd have to choose somebody. Mm-hmm. And there's not, and you know, we know that they're not supposed to be new to their faith. And so, in this context, who's the least new to the faith? You right. know, and also fits all these other criteria. And then you you put them in the ministry and they would come back around. And there were like things we can look at where like this person was, you know, sleeping with their uh, father's wife. Like, you're like, wait, like, what are you, you just letting that go? Like, no, that has to be addressed, you know, and this is how you handle that. And that's right. Uh, coming back around and helping these young leaders and uh, try to figure this. And so what you, what you'll find if we take that, you know, 2000 years later, what we see is like, that means your pastor is going to be struggling also at times, you know, and knowing what's right and which way to go. And you just, hope they're bathing everything in prayer that they're doing. Yeah, so true. I, I think it's important to address the the reality of the the pastor, the, the humanity of pastors. Um, mm. One of the things that we try to do at Grace, and this is, no, this is relatively recent in recent years for me personally, in my own personal ministry, it's a part of my own personal story, is to normalize uh, the fact that Though we are called to a very high standard as pastors, um, we still are human beings who get tired, who get grumpy, who mm. um, are tempted, who are uh, struggling with our own faith even at times through our own life's uh, situations. Our, our lives aren't, because we're a pastor, you know, are, are exempt from dealing with very real tragedies in life. Um, disappointments, frustrations. And and so it's important to me that our congregation, and I try to weave it into a lot of my messages, is my own personal dealings with um, my own personal circumstances, loss, grief, disappointment, frustration, anger, um, and how to navigate that with God, how I am navigating that. And um, as an example of one who is just a has his feet on the ground and 
humbly trying to serve God just like mm. anybody else. Yet I have this mantle responsibility. And so I'm, I'm, uh, have a higher calling or at least a higher standard by which uh, I will be judged uh, because of my position. But it, it, nevertheless, it's important for me to lead from a vulnerable place. Mm. Um, so I don't want to be an Instagram pastor, you know, or they, they were. And what I mean by that is <laughs> where you only see the best of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I want you to see the best of me, but That's I also good. want you to know that, um, you know, my wife, Martha and I, we've been married uh, 34 years and, and never uh, had an argument. That's right. Probably. You know, uh, <laughs> it, it's important that we, yeah, we are, we're all growing. We're all yeah. learning. We're and I, I think it's important in, in very appropriate ways to keep that the norm, even mm-hmm. among those in leadership, we can get caught up in, in having to be a certain way. And even though we're not, we portray it that way because we just wouldn't be accepted if we, if we aren't. And that can cause problems where we start to hide things. We mm-hmm. hide something oh, yeah. because of potential judgment or, or whatever. And all of a sudden that leads us down to a path of failure ultimately. Yeah. There's another podcast someday that I don't know if it fits into this channel, but I wanted to talk about uh, just uh, in, in just in a big sense, trying to allow people to see into like a real pastor's life struggles and, and great things and rough things. And and I haven't found the set of pastors to bring in to do that or who'd be willing to do that. But uh, I think that there's there's uh, there could be a tremendous amount, a tremendous amount of fruit from people seeing uh, that my pastor struggles in these ways, and this is how he fights sin, and uh, and his marriage isn't uh, flawless, and so this is how he uh, is a is is a husband to his wife, and uh, and and just things like that. Seeing like you're saying, like there's an example of that, and other people seeing that, like oh, there is this struggle there, and um, I'll, I'll give you one example. Uh, and somebody told me I, I shouldn't say this out loud so i'll say it and then now 350 people are going to hear it but uh i one time in a sermon i i told them that like i i don't pray every day and that's like a weakness of mine where Mm. when i think about practically i should before anything else like before i go sharpen the pencils right i should be praying right that's more you know before i reply to emails i should be praying and um and 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 this well, there's two things that happened. This young, this old, older guy uh, that I, I really uh, admire in a lot of ways uh, comes up to me and goes, hey, he goes, he goes, did I hear you right? You said you don't pray every day. And, uh, and like now I'm like feeling ashamed. I'm like, yeah, like I did say that. And, and he's like, he's like, hey, even if that's true, he goes, I, I wouldn't say that again. <laughs> and then and then uh, within a couple of days, this uh, other it's a it was a younger gal came up and said uh, and said, hey, I really appreciate that you said that. And so it's interesting to me. One person saw that as encouraging and another person was trying to protect me from whatever he thought was going to happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, and probably bad things did happen. There were probably people that were very disappointed in me for that. Um, but that, that at that time, like that is the part of the struggle has happened is realizing that like, I don't even pray every day and I'd like to be a man that prays every day. Um, because I think that's part of what I'm convicted should be part of my Christian walk is it, when it talks about uh, never cease and praying, I, I think that what that at least means is praying every day, I think. Yeah. So anyways, yeah. it's it's a testament to what you just said that I think that that can be a good thing, having that vulnerability and seeing these struggles and being an example of, you know, what does putting sin to death look like? What does, you know, being a husband uh, look like? What does repentance look like? What does apologizing look like? And things like that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's, it's so much. I think it, it, it's helpful 
as an aspect of leadership, as an aspect of shepherding, to be vulnerable uh, vulnerable about um, not only your, you know, I mean, I, I, I struggle with being selfish. I struggle with uh, laziness at times. I struggle with, um, you know, not being the great, a great husband or a great dad or, or whatever that looks like, you know, and, and it's less about being perfect at those things. It's more about how am I growing? How am I humbly learning uh, how to properly put some of those things in their place and elevate Jesus in my heart and in my life as a source of my ability, whatever good, whatever ability I have to accomplish, whatever God's called me to be, it, it's it's not going to be in me. It's going to be through the Spirit of God in me, through Jesus in me. And uh, left to myself, I'm so easily self-serving and I'm... Uh, you know, insecure or, you know, get angry at something, you know, but the more I have, and not that anger, anger is a whole nother subject that I, I talk a lot about is that's not in and itself a, a sin. It's what, how we express our anger. Anger is something that God himself expresses, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but even so displaying these qualities and talking about these qualities that somehow in our modern church have become uh, standardized topics of this is what you do and this is what you ought to do. And this is what you don't do. Uh, but none of us really uh, can live up to those oughts uh, with 100% precision. So sometimes we look at pastors on a pulpit and we only see them on a Sunday morning um, and we assume that, well, they've got it all together, you know. Um, but the reality is a way of leading is I want you to follow me as I follow Jesus. Jesus is the one who's going to empower us to do the the, the things he's called us to do, and we're going to stumble along the way, but we're going to continue to pick ourselves up in faithfulness and trust him and grow and learn and take responsibility and apologize and move forward. And I think that's much more real, a real description of our faith. And, and it should be embodied in those in leadership. And we honestly, we have a lot of pressure not to do that. We have a lot of pressure. Um, there's not a lot of grace for leadership. Um, and mm. so that pressure sometimes we f- leads us to a deceptive life, uh, in, in, in very even small ways, yeah. um, that can lead to sometimes big, big things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we've kind of already moved into the next little subject here, um, where we, you know, just to kind of, for the sake of time, we'll breeze through this next section about what should that pastor then be doing, which is going to lend us to the question about what is preaching and, and is it necessary? So. Um, in Acts chapter six, I thought this was a good, uh, good text to kind of begin the conversation about what is it that we uh, that we spend our time doing. And the example is Acts chapter six. The there is this feud distribution program happening. You already know where I'm going with this, but there's this feud distribution going, and the Hellenists show up, and they're like, "Hey, our widows are being overlooked." Like, and what was happening is the church was growing. Um, more people were being added. More needs. Also, more workers potentially. Uh, to and there were there it appears that there were some widows being overlooked in the food distribution and we want to fix that and so the Hellenists notice hey you're missing our widows so they bring it up and uh, and then there's a text that describes how they handle this and just listen to this and then we'll talk about it um, Acts chapter six one through seven now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. 
The twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables, to, to deacon or to deaconess, right? Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom will be appointed to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And then it goes on to talk about how that was accomplished, you know, in the rest of the verses there. But what we see, and I would argue this, it's not that they didn't want to be involved in the feud distribution because by the text itself, we see they were. They were the Mm -hmm. ones doing that. And it wasn't that they shouldn't be doing it, but it began to, uh, it began to take so much of them, they began neglecting other things that, that would be more particularly their responsibility and role as, as, you know, the leaders. And so, what they did is they had this group come and they elected people to then take that on. Not so, and I think this, the reason why I'm kind of harp on this, I think pastors take this out of context. They're like, I shouldn't be touched. All I should do is pray and preach and pray mm-hmm. and preach. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's true. I think what we see is this, the other stuff other than praying and preaching and shepherding began to take over and make it so they couldn't do the prayer and the preaching part. And they're like, well, we need to be devoting ourselves to this. And this is still important, but we need other people to do that. And it's important enough to make sure it works well. So they got people to do that. And so right here, what we see is an example of what what should pastors be doing. Your pastors should be praying, and they should be studying the word, and they should be preaching the word. Uh, The Gospel Coalition uh, wrote a whole article about this, and they broke it down in three categories, as Gospel Coalition would, uh, or any pastor probably would. (laughs) Uh, One was leading, one is feeding, and one is shepherding. And so what they would kind of categorize as leading is the leadership. They're the ones uh, that is like kind of mom and dad in the church helping uh, navigate uh, the different aspects of the church. Uh, Feeding, um, that would be what we would probably consider more of like the teaching, you know, uh, taking milk is good and then somehow transitioning into meat and providing both and feeding the congregation the word of God. And then the shepherding is more of the caring, protecting um, side of, of those things. And so... Um, anyways, it kind of broke it down in those categories. So what we see is like a a leading, um, a uh, preaching, a studying of the word, which would also be the feeding of the congregation, and then also this protection um, and guiding. Uh, and I would even argue in that sense, like that's where biblical counsel, I tell people, I'm not a therapist, but as far as biblical counsel, I believe I have a responsibility to my congregation to help provide that. And I believe that that is part of that shepherding and leading as well. And so those are kind of the things, and maybe you, a couple of those spark some thoughts for you. Those are kind of the things that I'm seeing that pastors should be doing. What are you thinking about that? Yeah, certainly I think the the priority of the pastor is to be given to prayer and to the study and preaching of God's word. It just takes so much time. In fact, um, Peter uh, um, gives a commendation to those elders specifically who are uh, preaching and teaching, uh, because that just takes a lot of time. It's a lot of responsibility to prepare, and and the, the words that you say, um, you know, they're worried. He, what he's what does he say that they're worthy of double honor. Yeah, those who are, have that responsibility. So it, from the beginning, it's always been given a priority as a part of the role of that shepherd. And I, I'm glad that you're acknowledging, and, and, and of course, it's it's pretty widely acknowledged that um, that we're not exclusively. I guess maybe if you're like in a huge church where you just yeah. have staff people to do all those other things. That sounds but nice. The, the smaller, like normal church, yeah. uh, that, that we're plunging toilets. Us, yeah, right. Most of us are a part of. We're doing. We're wearing a lot of hats. Yeah. 
And uh, right, we were plunging toilets in one day and, and walking someone through uh, the loss of a spouse yep. uh, that same day. And then we're studying to preach for a Sunday morning message. And so we are, are challenged to give priority to the preaching and teaching of the word and to prayer. And, and so that's a, that's a tricky thing to balance. And I know we're not talking about the balance of it all in this context, more along the, the, the sense of the, the priority of preaching. But uh, I, I, I think that the value of someone who knows the word of God well is a protective measure uh, against uh, going down a path that uh, would be errant that not, isn't aligned with the word of God uh, you, because of a lack of training, a lack of study, a lack of understanding of the word of God, uh, as well as be able to give the local congregation all of the, the tools for they themselves to grow up into maturity, to, to utilize the gifts that God's given them, to, to contribute to the building up of the body of Christ in the passage you read in Ephesians. And so we have, it just takes a lot of time. So we dedicate uh, a lot of time to that. I, in my own personal journey, um, I'm, I'm a teacher, my primary gift gifting is teaching. And so in my own journey, that has looked differently throughout um, the 30 plus years of my own ministry in that uh, there was a, a period of many years, at least 10 that uh, I devoted myself completely to the study of the word, of doctrine, and, and to the point of they knew that when I was going to be teaching, we were going to get Greek and Hebrew, and uh, I just uh, immersed myself in that. And I'm so grateful for that season of my life coming out of seminary and and so on, and, uh, and how that has been so vital uh, to, to my teaching. Uh, but in that process, a part of what I lost, and it's just my own personal story, mm -hmm. is I lost a bit of my own heart for the sake of being academically mm -hmm. accurate with the Word of God. And uh, it was good. I was teaching truth and so on. But um, what, com what people commonly would, would get the feedback I would get in after messages and so on is, wow, you're, you're a teacher, that's for sure. And uh, but it doesn't, it's hard for us to relate to sometimes, mm. you know, I'm, I understand the Greek that you've, how you've explained it or, uh, the cultural principles that why they were saying these things. Um, but there was a little disconnect in the relatability. And mm. for me, part of my own journey was, um, I came off of a, uh, some pretty tragic things in my own life. Uh, I had been burned more than once, um, in leadership in church. And uh, my response was to disconnect from my heart. Mm. And I so wanted to, and I, cause I, I could, I couldn't hang my, I couldn't wrap my mind around some of the actions of people that had caused harm in my life. And so um, I just dove into just making sure that I, the only thing I could have control over is get, get it right with the word. And so I'm going to go. I'm going to go down to the the smallest detail of whatever I could do to understand the Word of God, and that's what I, I held to. And it was it was good, except that in the process I disconnected from my own heart. And uh, as a as a 
protective mechanism, a protective response. And in recent years, when God allowed some very tragic things in my own life um, that really dismantled uh, the infrastructure of my, of my life, I had to boil back down to re- getting reacquainted with my heart. Mm. And so in more recent years, uh, I, I've seen, um, in my own experience, a transition um, not away from the, the right understanding of Scripture that still is always going to be the foundation, but m- more walking with people, using that as our baseline, as our as our base understanding, but then applying it to, um, particularly when, when people are going through uh, trauma in their life, um, healing of wounds, binding up mm-hmm. of wounds in people's lives, and so on, and, and sharing a bit of my story along the way. And how God... Uh, speaks through his word, but he speaks to us as God through Jesus in the Holy Spirit. And so as a, as a shepherd, I think it's, it's one of those things where it was explained to me one time uh, years ago, I think that you, uh, it wasn't in the context of Christian, it was a context of another uh, occupation that you had to learn all the rules of that occupation uh, thoroughly before you knew how to break the rules properly. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, and I really think that th- there was a tongue-in-cheek idea, but the reality is I think that's true even of uh, understanding it's so important. I'm not downplaying at all the, the academic understanding of, of Scripture and the, 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 the responsibility we have to rightly divide the word of truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but having done that, uh, we must also be able to uh, have the nuance of moving into the real-time uh, ups and downs, the tragedies of our lives, and not just the, the immediate tragedy that happens today, but the part of my story that I've never told any about, anybody about in, that happened to me when I was young, or the loss I experienced in college, or that early years of life, or the this breakdown of this of this. Um, relationship or the loss of a parent or whatever that looks like. And uh, how do I make that connection between what the Word of God says and how God speaks to me uh, through, in and through, uh, even those very painful parts of my life where at the time I felt like God maybe abandoned me a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we as shepherds in the preaching and teaching of the Word of God uh, it's helpful for us to begin to connect those dots. Here's what the Word of God says, and here is what God says to you mm-hmm. in your. When I what I often says say in in my message, we have a in our bulletin. Uh, we still do paper bulletins uh, at Grace. There's a blank place. God bless you for yeah. it. <laughs> uh, so do we. <laughs> there's a blank place there for people to write notes, and I and I often say this I, I, on a Sunday morning. God is going to speak to you today. And what he speaks to you, that's what you write down. Uh, I'm going to give you an outline. I'm a structured guy. It's how I teach. It's just the way I teach. Uh, but you don't have to write down the notes of the things I say or even the outline that I give you. Um, but there, I will say something today that, that God himself and his Holy Spirit will prompt you in your heart. Mm. Um, and it may be something directly about what I said. And it may be something indirect, something that prompted something else yeah. unrelated to what I'm saying. But God is moving in you. Write those things down. And so I think I see my role as a preacher rightly dividing the word of God, 
but then moving from there to um, how and, and being to connect the dots between that and people's real day-to-day life dealing with very hard things and uh, how do I heal? How do I move forward from loss and disappointment and frustration and uh, shame uh, and guilt in my own life? Um, how do I how do I make this uh, so personal and real and as a relationship with God? And so um, I think our the, the nature for me preaching uh, has to be right, has to be correct, but mm-hmm. it has to lead people into a deeper communion with Jesus, which includes yeah. uh, hard things, shame, uh, and and helping people to, to resolve some of this in their life and return to a place of shalom or peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let me riff off of that for a second. Second Timothy, obviously, is, I got a text here, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Um, Timothy would be this elder overseer and... Uh, and so it says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and, and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Mm-hmm. And I think that included a lot of the stuff that you were talking about, even a couple of these key words, repro- reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Those are kind of the, some of the, uh, the topics you were talking about. So reprove, one could think of reprove as boldly warn, place due weight in order to protect or prevent. Exhort could be considered uh, close up and personal call for action from one with evidence that stands in the court of God. And then rebuke, where there is fault, you correct in a way that leads to conviction in the other. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that if you confront in that way, there's a fault and you correct in a way that leads to their own conviction, then the change can take place. And that is a beautiful thing to see. And this comes from preaching the word and being ready in season, out of season. So we know what the truth is. So then that if we do see fault, we know that it is truly a fault. Or if we do see the grace of God, we know that it is truly the grace of God. And, uh, and in season, out of season, all times. And like you're saying, that can be some difficult things, including uh, tragedies, uh, losses, um, victimizations, uh, those types of things. And uh, you kind of, in your answer there, you kind of described how you approach preaching uh, in general and rightly dividing the word and then not just stopping there because that's good teacher, right? And then the preacher part maybe comes in its in its goodness and being able to take that and then help your your sheep feed on it right yes. going back uh-huh. to that illustration um so uh last question and then we'll be wrapping up here we got a, just a couple minutes uh is it necessary is having a pastor necessary and is sitting under preaching necessary Well, the short answer is yes, <laughs> of course. <laughs> and that's it. Here we <laughs> uh, Yeah. You know, 
I think that uh, this idea of rightly dividing the word of truth um, is is really important to understand that when we just open the Bible and read it, there's there's so much of it that is absolutely clear, and uh, we believe in the you know the, the self-evidencing truth of of Scripture. And, but there are many things that uh, seem confusing or, or maybe we even get wrong because we don't know the culture or the original language or um, the context very well. We haven't been taught uh, interpretive principles of Scripture. And these are, these are simple tools that pastors are trained in uh, to rightly divide the word of truth that protects them from error. And also that we're speaking a message that is, in fact, the message that God intends. Uh, and so in this day and age in particular, I think in the first century, you people understood the context of Scripture because they were living in sure, the context yeah. of Scripture. And so they required less of these kind of hermeneutical training and so on. But we, reading ancient, in effect, ancient documents not written in our language, not written in our uh, to our culture specifically, we have to be able to um, historically and grammatically understand those things, uh, and then before we can make the connect the dots to our, our present culture, our present circumstances. So, I'm making the argument that our, our pastor is necessary. I think that um, a pastor who is trained to rightly divide the world of truth is is far more important now than it ever has been in a culture that is far removed from that first century uh, Mediterranean uh, Eastern uh, culture. And, um, and so it's so vital. And from a biblical standpoint, as far as, as far as preaching the word of God, but from a leadership standpoint, it's important to have a person or a group of people, uh, ideally, uh, <laughs> who are bearing the mantle of a formal leadership. You're taking responsibility. Um, it's just, it's good. Uh, it's not only endorsed by Jesus, it's not only endorsed by the apostles, uh, but it just makes sense. It makes sense for um, taking a diverse group of people and, and helping people to organize in the same direction. Um, you agree upon the principles of, of study that you're using. You agree upon the principles of how we love one another, and you and you are taught what that looks like in, in greater and greater ways. And we, not anybody can just do that and pick up a Bible and and do that well. Um, it's there is something to be said of, about the role of the pastor who has been trained, but also is increasing in experience in doing that um, to provide those those safety, but just really quality nurture and shepherding for any even small congregations. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, uh, I think you, I think you said that well. Um, I think if, if when Jesus created everything that there is, when God, the, when the Trinity, when the Trinitarian God, there's some more accuracy, when the Trinitarian God created everything that there is, if he created order and within families creates order, within churches creates order, and then uh, when Jesus ascends, uh, he he knows and he gives gifts and part of those giftings um, is a command to 
gather together, right? We know that we're supposed to gather together. And when we gather together, we believe that's the church. It's not the building, right? And so when we're gathering together, a church, there's the church, a local church, and the universal church is the church all the way, all the Christians on, in, uh, that are living on the planet. But this local church, and within that local church, there's structure within that for the for the betterment of His people. Uh, so, so our God calls us in to meet together, and that would be the church. And then within that church, He's given order to it. Then, uh, and I would argue then that yes, it's very clear we should be a part of a church. And then within that church, there's going to be leadership. The Bible talks about uh, what that leadership is to look like, and so we all submit into that leadership. And we will always think we have better ways to do things than God. And I think we should be very careful when we start getting those ideas. But if God does give structure, we uh, we submit to that structure. And then part of that within that structure is elders and overseers and, and shepherds. And part of their role is to be teaching. And uh, and I think that that's there for a purpose. And for all the same reasons uh, that you said. And so for, for those reasons, I agree 100% with everything that <laughs> Pastor Mark just said. <laughs> yeah. So with that... We have to wrap up. We just hit a little bit over an hour now. So that looks like we're going to have to wrap it up here. So anyways, with that, we thank everybody for joining us. And uh, I thank Pastor uh, Mark for coming coming down the hill from uh, Grace Fellowship to discuss this topic. And we thank you for everybody joining us.